What up, you dirty heathen? It's another great and all-powerful sermon by the one true prophet, the one who can speak to the gaming gods themselves and deliver to you the pure, unadulterated gaming gospel. That's right, bitches. It's another episode of the Gaming Memories Podcast where I interview someone creative and interesting about their favorite gaming memories growing up. And on this episode of the motherfucking podcast, I have Will Barber, or also known as the Barber who homeboy is a legitimate collector and i've been following a lot of collectors on instagram because that's how i find a lot of the obscure games on systems that i may have heard about or games that didn't even know existed then i go back and i try them and i have a lot of fun and he is one of the collectors that i've been following for a long time and he has posted a bunch of games specifically sort of 90s to early 2000 jrpgs there was a bunch that i missed but he talks about a few on the podcast a few that i should try out um, um, some cool gems. Coldeca is a turn-based sort of like tactics RPG that's also mixed with horror, kind of like Resident Evil with pre-rendered backgrounds. It's this really interesting JRPG. That is one example of a game that I discovered by following the Barber Who. He's got something like 2,000, some 3,000, some odd pieces in his collection. He posts every single day. Every single thing on his Instagram is from his actual collection. All around badass dude, knows a lot about video games, and I had a grand old time asking him about his favorite games growing up. I will put all the applicable links in the podcast description. Check him out. The Barber Who, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, etc, etc, etc. Will Barber, thanks again. I say these things in the name of Miyamoto the Father, Kojima the Son, and Carmack, the Holy Ghost. Enjoy the show. What's up? I've been stalking you on the Instagram for a hot minute. Yeah, I, I mean, I've been listening to your podcast ever since you followed me, like, way back when, so... Oh, really? I had no idea. I mean, I was like, you followed me back in, like, when I just started the thing, and um, I was like, oh, hey, this guy's cool, so I checked out the podcast, and I was, like, hooked ever since. I, uh, it was specifically the JRPGs, the PS1 JRPGs. A few mm-hmm. was like, oh, shit, this motherfucker's got some deep cuts. <laughs> he knows yep. He knows some shit. Yeah. My, wa- my wallet's still crying, but... <laughs> how many... Uh, your collection is... Um, how many total items do you have in your collection? One second. I actually got an app for this. Uh, let's see here. It's got to be a lot. You have one of the bigger collections I've seen on Instagram. So right now, I'm sitting at 2,548 different games in the collection. Damn, 2,548. Do you know... Off the top of your head, like, which consoles and which games have, like, the percentage share? It's mostly the PlayStation consoles. Good man. Good man. Like, my, uh, (laughs) I'm not sure. I'd have to double check. It's either my PlayStation 1 or my PS2 collection. Those are, like, probably the biggest two. And, uh, what year were you born? Believe it or not, I'm actually a lot younger than people think. I was born in, uh, 95. Holy shit. Wow. Yep. I just kind of figured, since you had a lot of PS1 games and PS2, like, oh, that's gotta be, like... Between 80, 85 and 90. Nope. I'm a youngin'. Damn. So what was your first console then? So you want me to do consoles or handhelds? Well, okay, let me guess. That gives me a, that gives me a hint. I usually, 90, ding. 97, 95, you said? So I was born in 95. Like, uh, my Instagram profile thing is a little bit of a lie. It says I started gaming in 95, but in reality, it was more like 97, 98-ish. Ooh. And I have a suspicion it's going to be a handheld because you asked. What would be, you're either going to have a Game Boy Color? Yep. Yes! Yeah, still got baby! That, still got one. I had the, the not-quite-green one, not-quite-blue one. It was like that tealish-colored one. And uh, Pokemon, probably a big one in the beginning. No, believe it or not, my first video game ever was Clax. Clax? Clax on the, uh, you know, the old um, Atari games, uh, like, puzzle game, like, little tiles would fall down the screen. You'd have to, like, catch them and, like, do, like, pairs of three to get them to go away. I don't know if I've heard of that. Or if I have, I've never... Oh, I've seen this, but man, I would have never remembered it. So I got two games with my... uh, The first console I've owned was the Game Boy Color, and I got two games with it. I had Mario Brothers Deluxe and Clax. And me being like... God, I must have been like three or four at the time. thought, 
Ooh, Clax, this looks cool. Yeah, this looks... Actually, you know, I don't know if I have ever seen this. The The cover art like, felt a little like ring. It tickled my brain a little bit, but I'm watching gameplay, and I don't think I've ever seen this before. So the Game Boy Color port is actually like one of the more recent ports. Like This game is it was like back in the 80s, and it was like basically ported to every system known to man. Wow. And it's like uh, the, the not-as-popular Tetris for the time. Yeah, it was kind of... It was a decent success in the arcades, from what I've read. I know one of the main reasons why it's been ported to everything it was part of atari games who was going under the, the name 10 gen at the time it was kind of them like kind of sticking it to nintendo because they had that whole fallout with the whole like cartridge like licensing policy yeah can you uh someone brought that up before do you know can you give our listeners like a recap of that because that's really weird um I'm not an expert at it, but I basically the story goes is nin- Nintendo kind of had like a stranglehold on like the uh, the market back then. Like you could only release like three games a year. You had to go directly through them. They controlled the like the manufacturing of the cartridges as well, right? And they took a yes. cut. Yeah, yeah. Basically, there was a lockout chip in the NES cart that would basically prevent like unlicensed games from playing, like working on the uh, on the NES and. Um, Nintendo's other thing they did was they had like an exclusivity like contract. So they'd kind of like block out, like basically they had a stranglehold on the market, which is one of the main reasons why like Sega with the Master System like didn't stand a chance in the US at the time. And they did better in like Europe and Brazil. Yeah. But believe it or not. That's weird. I actually have, basically from a few guests, have noticed that. Europe, the Master System and the Genesis was king. Mm. But to an, to an extent, I, because when I was a kid, it was, it felt. 50-50, but really the Super Nintendo seemed more popular. I don't know the actual numbers in America. I'm guessing Super Nintendo did better, but in Europe, in the UK specifically, Sega was just mollywhopping. I believe um, in the US, the Super Nintendo did win in the end, but um, there was a good point where the Genesis had a market like was in the lead, and then they just completely blew it with like the Sega CD and the 32X and just all the... They made so many mistakes that just cost them <laughs> any sort of lead they had. Yeah, that could be its own episode when we might get into more of that, because I was uh, one of the few people that had a, had a 32X, and... Uh, See that was all yeah. before that was all before me <laughs> in general. Yeah, I think the 32x was coming out. I was like one, maybe. Yeah, I think it was 99. So you would have been one or two. I think. Nine, I think it was like 96, maybe. Really, that much uh, earlier? Man, I'm getting yeah. too many dates in my head. 32x release date. It was either 95 or 96. Oh, we're both wrong. 94. Oh, wow. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, so Shit. I, I, I was. I was in the womb at that point. <laughs> I must have gotten it later then, not like at launch. I remember my mom got sold by some sales guy. She brought it home. For, I think I got it for Christmas. And uh, she said the guy at the store said it's going to make all the graphics better on all your existing Genesis games. I think I that knew- was a common like uh, misconception. With misconception, yeah. Around. And I remember getting in trouble because I, I wasn't ungrateful, but I was... <laughs> It was like Christmas, and I was telling my mom, like, I don't think it does that. I don't, yeah. are you sure? And she was like, started getting mad at me, and I'm like, okay, so I'm happy. And I had, she got me the Star Wars, uh, which is like one of the few good 32X games. Oh, Star Wars Arcade? That's what it is. Yeah, yeah. And it was yep. dope. It was dope as shit. I have that one somewhere around here. <laughs> um, I'm getting sidetracked, which I always do. The Tengen Nintendo split. Finish the, so, the weird licensing thing. Atari games, believe it or not, is one of the most confusing like things in like in gaming. So Atari Atari Inc. went bankrupt like around like eighty. I think it was like eighty three, eighty four ish. I might might have might have my dates wrong there. Basically, when they went bankrupt, the company that owned them, uh, Time Warner, basically split them in two. They took the the uh, part that made like the consoles, and that was sold off to uh, Jack Tremel who was the founder of Commodore Computers and he renamed that half Atari Corp and they were like responsible for like the 7800 the Jaguar the Lynx all the really terrible stuff well, I, mean, I mean I love the Lynx so <laughs> I, mean, I, I don't think that thing had a fair shot so the other uh, half of the company was Atari Games that was like the arcade like division that made like all the game a classic Atari titles yes uh, they were sold to Namco believe it or not and then Namco made a deal with one of their uh, the president of their US subsidiary he bought into it and basically was going to run the company independently from Namco, but because Atari Corp had the rights to the publishing name, they had to publish their uh, names under the Tengen name. Oh, uh, yes, yes. Which is why when you play a lot of Tengen games, they'll say Atari Games like yes. under the uh, like copyright stuff. But Tengen was basically just their publishing like arm. And then that that must have been dissolved like not long after any like eight or sixteen bit because Tengen kind of stopped showing up. So what happened with that? Just to get sidetracked a little bit, what happened with uh, Tengen? was basically uh the because time warner still owned a percentage of um atari games and after the um namco kind of like sold some of their rights off to the uh, the guy who was running it basically i believe it in 
the process of how it was, it was, I guess Time Warner still had the majority. Eventually, like around like the PlayStation Saturn era, they got, I'm not 100% on these. These are like what I've kind of picked up over time, but I believe it was just kind of dissolved into Time Warner uh, Interactive. Okay. Who was eventually purchased by Midway Games. I was going to ask, like for some reason I had in my mind Tengen and Midway connected. That's why um, that version of Clax is actually published by uh, Midway. Ah, yes. But uh, believe it or not, the studio that was like Atari Games lasted on until the PlayStation 2 era. Their final title was, um, did you ever play the PS2 game Dr. Mudo? No, Dr. Sorry, Dr. M-U-D-O? It's like M-U-T-O, I believe. Dr. Mudo PS2. It was on all the systems. I just, I played the PS2 version. Oh yeah, this is like, um, I call like this art style, like like the Pixar Jack and Daxter platformer or whatever my term is for this. That game was actually the final game made by the original, like what was left of Atari games before they finally completely closed down. Have you played it? It kind of looks cool. It's it's a decent 3D platformer. It's not the great, like I'd play Jack and Daxter, like Sly Cooper Ratchet before any of those. It's got a decent little gimmick where you kind of like have this like power gun thing. You can use it to like do different like moves and transform into different things. But it's like solid enough. Like I had a fun time playing it. Yeah, I'm going to, I'll probably do a video on this because that's a cool little fact that it's the final game by, I mean, Atari games, they were like, they have, they were the arcade kings mm. for a hot minute. Like, I believe the, the director for Dr. Muto was actually Ed Log, who did all like the classic like Atari stuff back in the day. Interesting. And the Midway did Atari and, is there any relationship between like the Midway racers and the Atari world? There might be. There's some like, at least similarities on the surface. I wonder if there's, interesting. Yeah, this looks cool. I, I had... Dude, you've already dropped two games I've never heard of. This is cool. All right, I got to stop watching this because I can't pay attention. Yeah, but uh, anyways, go, going back to the uh, the whole the Nintendo Tengen thing. Tengen was one of actually one of the earliest uh, Nintendo licensees. So they had. That's why if you actually look into it, there's three Tengen games that have regular NES cartridges. Like I think it was like Pac-Man, RBI Baseball, and there was one other game. I can't remember it off the top of my head, but uh, those were the three that they made like legitimately. Then I guess there was um, fuzzy on the exacts, but I guess there was like sort of like a cartridge, like a transistor shortage or something, and or like microchip shortage. And it was basically it was going to hurt Atari games if they couldn't get the games out, and Nintendo wouldn't give them any sort of like leeway. They had to stick by the thing that everyone else had to follow. Ah. From what I remember, is they actually went to the patent office, and you can like look at the patents for like anything in like the patent office. You just can't take anything out legally. Okay. Unless it's under litigation, then you have the rights to take any sort of like copywritten material out. So I guess they they made like some sort of false like lawsuit against Nintendo so they could get the like r- the specs to like the NES basically so they could figure out what the um I think it was actually the the patent for the uh, lockout chip. And then once they had access to that, they get around it. Do it do basically they copied it. And yeah. they claim they re-engineered it, but um, uh, when they later got taken to court over it, it was basically shown that they didn't copy it. They just cut, legit copied this, the uh, the code right over. And did they, uh, they end up paying some sort of reparation damages? What happened? Uh, basically, all the unlicensed games had to be taken off the shelves. Uh, one of the most infamous ones was, uh, which is a completely another thing that I don't want to get into, just because it's such a, it's an even bigger mess. Was uh, the uh, their version of Tetris? I uh, don't know anything about that, and I don't know. Do we want to get into that mess? Um, probably not. Because that, because that would be its own, oh, its own podcast. There's a, a YouTuber called the uh, the Gaming Historian that I watch every now and then. He did like okay. it was like an almost hour long video, basically on the story of Tetris, like itself. That is one complicated mess to get into. I'm gonna have to look at me write that. Then look into that. Maybe do some videos. That's on where that. I learned a lot of the uh, the Atari Ten Gen stuff as well. This, this guy does like some like really in depth like uh, study videos on YouTube. I'm gonna have to yeah check him out. I got someone else brought up uh, this podcast Retro Knots that I've been listening to a bunch. Pretty good. And Anything that's like old school. That, that, that makes me, how, if you're born in 90, oh, you said 95, right? 97? 90, 95. 95. Uh, how did you get into retro games that, that's like kind of rare? What got you into collecting and going just, I mean, you're obviously just balls deep into gaming. <laughs> yeah, I am. So I, I guess we can go with the, the story. Basically, I got in, the first system was a Game Boy, but we had a PlayStation in the house growing up. Like that was just kind of the family PlayStation, which is one of the reasons why I didn't want to say the PlayStation was my first system because it didn't technically own technically. that one. That was that was the family system. I did eventually get a PS1, like the small one with the screen yeah. in like 2000, right when the PS2 was coming out. But um, I had already been playing the thing for years at that point because I had my own game. 
games. I just didn't have a system. I had to use the family one. Dude, you, uh, I mean, in my opinion, if you've been listening to the podcast, like the PS1 is the GOAT console for me. To me, it is between that or maybe the PS2. because The they PS2, both just, numbers-wise, is still the best, right? Of it's all the time? best-selling console of all time. With the, yeah. the Nintendo DS is just barely under it. You grew up with the best. What was, um, what's the first game you remember playing on the PS1? PS1 was Crash Bandicoot 3. Crash Bandicoot. What year did Crash come out? Crash. I believe it was like 98. And was it like, uh, did you immediately, when did you start, a, like, the way to ask this question is what game or what moment did you decide, I'm like, I'm all in on gaming. This is my thing. I'm going to collect. It's it's a bit predictable, but um, my friend at the time. Is it seven? Okay, so my friend at the time, we haven't talked in like decades, but um, he had Final Fantasy seven. <laughs> You know, hey, you know what? But but this is where it, it gets it gets funny. Final. This was like years, a couple of years after seven was already out. But I, he had seven. I saw him playing it, and I was like, I need to play that. So I asked my parents for seven. But me being, let's see, ninety eight, ninety nine. Me being four year old who's kind of dumb, I added one extra I to the end of that seven, and I got <laughs> Final Fantasy eight instead. And you know what? I wasn't upset because I was like, oh, this one's cool too. So you actually played eight first. My first RPG of all time was Final Fantasy VIII, and my god, what a horrible place to start. Not that the game's bad, just, my god, that game is not for beginners. Not, dude, I was just gonna say, for a four-year-old, that yeah. game is not for a, I mean, no. the first time I played it, I'm, I'm considered, I got it, like, at launch, whatever it came out, so two or three years after seven, I was probably 12, maybe 11, somewhere around 13. The first time I played it, I did the junk, I didn't understand the junk, junctioning system, and I got all the way to when you get the red ship, the Ragnarok. Mm-hmm. And something was wrong where like I kept getting levels up. I forgot exactly what mistake I did, but I don't think I was drawing spells and then junctioning them to stats. Yeah, that, that's like the most complicated part of the, part the whole of thing. Yes. And I just like I, I kept get like grinding and farming. That that's the thing. That entire that entire game is counterintuitive. Yep. Like you don't want to grind because grinding causes the enemies to get stronger with you. You want to basically just draw your magic, run. Yes. Draw magic, run. <laughs> you fight yep. bosses because bosses don't give XP, they give uh, a GP instead. Dead, or yep. like uh, whatever the points for the uh, guardian forces were. Yep. And uh, so I, I basically ruined myself and I couldn't go, I couldn't beat the game. And then yeah. I, re- I replayed it later, years later. I was probably like 16. And then it became one of my favorite Final Fantasies of all time. I really liked that game. A lot of people hate on the story. I love the story, but it might just be because it was my first RPG and I have like massive nostalgia for it. Yes. No, I, like I got the game around when it came out, but I didn't beat it until like 2006. <laughs> That makes total like sense. I, I spent a lot of time playing it and just running around lost and just grinding enemies because I was stupid and didn't know what I was doing. But you know what? I, I still love that game. And it, it's what started basically what got me into gaming like from then on. I was from like the moment I got an NES, I was like, this is like, I'm a nerd. I'm, I'm, I'm going... I'm going down this path. Yep. So fun fact, my uh, after I kind of got into it, my dad had an NES and it was still in the, in the house. So he basically gave it to me and it had like a uh. bunch of games with it. So at that point it was like, I was like, ooh, this is cool. So it, I had like, uh, it had Mario, obviously just Mario 1 with Duck Hunt. And I actually have a gray uh, zapper too, because he had the original one. So you got, you got like, yeah, you got retro games on your own pretty early on. That makes sense. For the most part, like I didn't wasn't really buying them until like way later, but I had that I had like a selection of like 12 NES games that I grew up with basically. Which one did you like the most? Uh Mario. Mario. Uh that and Metroid. Um played a lot of Metroid even, even though I did not yeah. know what I was doing in that game. Yeah, that's also a rough game for a 4-year-old. Yeah. I was like five or six by the time I got around to uh, the NES. But what uh, is there a moment or something you can point to that flipped the switch for you to get into collecting? Okay, so there is a moment, and it is bizarre. So for most of my like childhood growing up, like I went like through like elementary school, middle school, I basically just got games that were new. Like I had a PS One and like a PS Two. I got basically what came out, what I wanted to play. I got a lot of RPGs because I, as a young kid, I realized I can't get a lot of games because money yes so i bought rpgs because those those were long and i would time i'd have yep. a ton of time with those so around the, the point where it, the, it really flipped is um like on how on my uh blog it says right on the top it says gaming since 95 collecting since 09 2009 was like my freshman year in high school i think freshman or sophomore year and i discovered ba- that was basically when like youtube was really starting to take off and i saw videos about the dreamcast and that's when i was really getting into like history and stuff and i was like what is the dreamcast because i had no idea and then i found it was sega's final console and from then on i was like i want a dreamcast really bad and at that point i went on amazon and found out dreamcast are still pretty cheap at that point so that was like i think my birthday gift that year was like i just a sega dreamcast sonic adventure and i got that thing in the 
the mail and played Sonic Adventure and was like, I am terrible at Sonic games. But <laughs> that uh, game is hard. That game does not control intuitively when I go back and play it. I, I love Sonic Adventure, but it, I, I won't lie and say it hasn't aged well. <laughs> it was, um, it's funny you missed it. It's funny to me because the Dreamcast was uh, one of the few consoles I couldn't get because of money. My parents wouldn't get it for me, but it was, I had a subscription to, I believe, EGM, Electronic Gaming Monthly, and maybe something else. I think that the the hype, Mm -hmm. the hype for the Dreamcast was just unreal. And I hated that I didn't have one and I wanted one so bad. And it's just, I find that crazy. You like somehow, you know, because we didn't have the internet and you just missed it. That's crazy. I think I missed it mostly because we had one TV like that um, me and my sister shared. And basically it was, we had to share the TV and it was basically, if I wanted to play video games, then I'd have to put up whatever she wanted to watch, which was probably anime or something at the time. I think she watched like Sailor Moon. (laughs) So I kind of had to put up with that and I'd watch watch that with her and then I get game game time. So it was basically between that or I'd be playing Final Fantasy VIII probably at that point because I had that game for a long time. So 2009, you get the Dreamcast. Mm-hmm. You go back and you're like, holy shit, this is dope. I missed it. What else? Is it kind of like, what else have I missed? Mm-hmm. And you just start going deeper and deeper. So then I start like, I, I discover YouTube and I'm like, okay, what's this? And I see just all these different like channels just talking about old game stuff. And I'm like, I what's this Saturn thing? Ooh, what's the Genesis? Like what's... I knew about the Nintendo stuff because everyone, I was like the one, believe it or not, I was the one weird kid with a PlayStation. Everyone else had an N64. Yeah, that makes sense. Which was odd because it was usually the other way around at that point. Yeah, uh, PS1 definitely sold more, but among like young kids, the six expect. The 64, the Nintendo IPs are, I mean, they have a type of mass appeal that basically no other brand has. Yeah, like, because, I mean, I missed out on, my first Nintendo console, believe it or not, was a Wii. Because we got got a Wii around, like, when the PS3 came out, I got the PS3, but we got a Wii basically for the family. So I ended up having access to the Wii because no one else really cared about video games. (laughs) Like, I didn't get a GameCube until, like, 2010. So I missed out on Smash Brothers Melee, like, all those, like, classic games growing up. I was going to say, what game probably... Like, do you wish you wouldn't have missed? Like, you start collecting, you start trying out old games, you start learning. Is there a game you're like, holy shit, I wish I would have had this as a kid? Um, Nowadays, I wish I had a Sega Saturn. Me too. Because, my God. I love the Saturn. I do too, and I've paid way too much money for my collection. (laughs) They're super high. I want... So, I gave up, like, physically collecting. I had a really solid PS1 JRPG. That was, like, my thing. JRPGs on the PS1. And that's how I came across you, is um, seeing some of those posts. I ended up selling my whole collection because I needed money at one point. I really regret it, but I'm... I'm like too heartbroken to ever start again. Mm-hmm. But I do have like, I, I basically, probably, I have this giant ass, I have a 2080 Ti, this badass PC computer and I play emulators like 98% yeah. of the time. But uh, Saturn is something I've been going back. The problem with Saturn emulation is it's really finicky. Yeah, because the, Sa- the Saturn is just a mess like to, to work with. Yes, it's so tough to work with. And I love, I really love the white Saturn. The the, uh, the Japanese one, I believe. Yeah, man, I want one of those so bad. And there's some dudes on Instagram that do like the mods, they restore them. And I guess there's like a like a mod where you basically have like a an SD card that holds games that you plug in. Oh, is that that was uh, the Stone Age Gamer guys, right? Yeah, the Stone Age Gamer guy. You can get them, and I'm thinking about snagging one because it's like I've, there's a lot of games that I'm having a hard time getting to run, like Guardian Heroes. Yep. I really want to play Guardian Heroes. It like runs really shitty on every every mm-hmm. emulator. I've troubleshot it. There's a 360 like re-release, but I don't have a 360, and you can't really emulate 360 that well that game either. So I'm like, am I gonna buy a Saturn and then get like the component and the like all the shit? it's going to be drama to even get the signal to my computer like, all this to go through just to play Guardian Heroes which I'm probably going to do because there's no other yeah, way no, to do that's it that's the worst part about Saturn stuff too is like most of those games never been re-released or they've just been lost because Sega was a mess back yeah. in the day yeah, that I tried. Uh, the guy, um, Retro Hangover Podcast, Chris, he mentioned this game like Psychic Killer Tomorrow. It's like this Japanese. Apparently, is super expensive. I did get that to I've work. I've heard of it on yeah, yeah, on Yabusa, which is a, a Saturn. Yeah, Y A B U S E. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to pronounce it. I got that to work and played through most of that game, and it was awesome. Okay. Like a, a gem. Yeah, Saturn's. Saturns are sick. So you have one, or how many Saturns do you have? I have one Saturn. I, I don't really own a lot of doubles of consoles. I have two PS1s because I had the, the little tiny one when I grew up, but I bought a uh, an older one just to have because I, I like the old PS1. And then I have a, uh, I've got two PS2s because my original one died. 
kind of it some sometimes works but um i have a slim line of model of that and other than that i really only have one of each system that i currently own so i have one saturn and uh i actually have a japanese uh imported controller for it nice what is your um most prized most rare most expensive piece of collection uh probably panzer dragoon saga Ooh, that's a cold classic which is an amazing game but i also i'm looking at my ps so many games in my ps1 library i could say like i have my my box lunar 2 uh my clodelka i've got an original persona Ooh, i had that too i had a black box original persona one i've got persona 2 eternal punishment as well that game believe it or not when i found when i first got that was right around before like the persona boom happened the guy i bought it from wanted it for 20 bucks yeah that makes total sense because i uh i was into jrpgs i played persona 1 i beat it the only thing i didn't like which i like now at the time i like now but at the time i didn't like the first person like walking through the town yeah the hallways and i didn't like how it switched to first person because i wasn't used to that like this is not this is not how jrpgs are supposed to be now i think it's cool persona 1 was very like shin megami tensei like inspired still it really hadn't found its own at that point and my god that that localization is terrible but i also it's amazing at the same time and i i loved that it was like dark and more adult. i was kind of getting burnt out of like the the teenage the teenage boy saves the Mm. world from the evil sorcerer or whatever this was like demons you have like high school kids it wasn't the whole it wasn't the whole world you were like you stayed in a city the whole thing took place in a city and uh, i loved that about it yeah i love the dark tone and then persona 2 i forget the difference between innocent sin and eternal punishment do you know off the top of your head what that is innocence innocent sin the psp uh remake that is actually so persona 2 is actually a duology like both games are their own independent game I knew that like they're not but I was always because I played I didn't beat either of them I played both of them and I just remember being confused so, like, okay, what's Innocent Sin is the first part of the story and uh, the whole reason we didn't get it o- get it over here is I've heard mixed things a lot of people say it's because of a lot of like the Nazi imagery in the game or that something like sense. that but I think it had more to do with um, Atlas was a very small team at that point so they didn't really have the resources to localize it at the time while they were working on the uh, sequel I guess you could say um, Eternal Punishment is actually the, um, the second half it basically it, it same same world, like same characters, only it takes place after the events. Because the way the story in Innocence and uh, takes place, it kind of ends with everything kind of being reset, and then you start with Eternal Punishment, and you're kind of trying to, you're basically going on from there with what's happening now, and like this kind of alternate version of the, of the first game, sort of. It's it's a little confusing. It's, yeah. it's very Atlas, very Persona. I just remember I beat the first one. I, I ended up with both versions somehow. I never it like that Persona formula, like it hadn't really, it hadn't, yeah, like you said, it hadn't boomed yet. And then obviously with three got really big and then four became the behemoth that four I, I say four it became kind of like the people kind of like open their eyes to it i mean i'm a little biased because persona 4 golden is actually my favorite game of all time i was gonna we're gonna get to that but yeah persona 4 favorite game golden all time which means that'd be your favorite jrpg which you're wrong <laughs> on that well, but it is a great game. I'm biased. <laughs> but um, no, I think the, the point where the series really exploded was with five, though. Really? For me, four was, I guess, I, I played one. I kept, I paid attention to it during two and three, and I tried them, but I didn't, like, get into it. Then I had a really good friend who was waiting. He was number three, John Jimenez, on the podcast. Like, a fellow JRPG nerd, and he's like, dude, you got to play Golden, or you got to play four. You got to play four. And I'm like, I don't know. I've tried two and three, and they just didn't, whatever. And he's like, I promise. And then, yeah, I put... Who knows? 250, 220 hours into four. It was crazy. I do a yearly playthrough, so. Yeah, I have games like that for sure. That's cool. But dude, it is, I would say it's in my top five of all JRPGs of all time. Maybe top three, depending on the day. It's really good. Yeah, like I definitely say that. Like one of the hardest things for me is putting a top, like top 10 art. Like I've wanted to do a a blog post about it for like years, like my top 10 favorite RPGs. I just, I can't decide right now because they keep like fluctuating. That's what I say. Depends on the day. My number one is pretty much always the same and then after that it depends on my mood See, i always say like the, the same 10 always kind of stay in there but they switch around where i how i view them yes and we're, we're going to get into that um, for okay. sure and i also i mentioned um when i first messaged you on instagram chris from retro hangover i want to do a jrpg specific episode yeah. where we just go through like starting with probably final fantasy and the NES, and uh just work our way through and talk yeah. about um yeah that'll be fun as shit so you get you get the ps1 you get collecting in 2009 because of the dreamcast and then you've obviously 
obviously 2,300 and some odd items <laughs> later. What is your most coveted thing that if you had infinite funds, you could get right now? Uh, I'd finish the Saturn Final Five. That would be, that would cost some cash. Well, I have, I've got three of them. <laughs> I, I've got Panzer Dragoon. That's the, that's the hardest one. When I looked up Psychic Killer Tomorrow, when uh, Chris told me about it, it was like 900 and something dollars on eBay. I was like, this Which is, is insane. because it's a Japanese one and usually the Japanese games are cheaper. Yeah, it's crazy. The Saturn, um, and then the Retronauts have this really great, I think it's, biz- oh, it's, I think it was Business Wars. I get it mixed up, but hearing about how the Saturn was put together, allegedly, from what I understand, in nine months, like the development I've time. I've heard stories about for 11 that. months, yeah. And uh, it's actually a really cool console that they threw together to compete with the, the PS1 really fast. But yeah, it's a mess on the inside. It was there because it wasn't designed super well, manufactured expensive, mm-hmm. so their margins were lower, or margins were way lower. I, I call it the, I kind of like to call it the PS3 of its time. Yeah, I can see that. That's what PS3 was. I was actually going to ask, do you have a launch PS3 that has the backwards compatibility? I do, and GameStop still wants it. Damn. They're, they are so annoying about that. <laughs> like, they're like, oh, we'll, we'll trade you in this money for it. I'm like, I don't want to sell it. It's like, dude, I'm not going to sell that. I ha- I still have one. It's uh, It died, though. I, I used it for so many hours to play PS1 and PS2 mm-hmm. games. It's I ha- I don't hear about those launch those launch consoles breaking, but it got like the red the red dot. I took it in. Someone like redid the heat sink, and it worked for like another six months, and it just died. My, uh, doesn't work anymore. My disk drive on mine died, and then I had a uh, I had someone replace it, and it's worked ever since. It's a that is probably that's one physical console I still wish I I owned. Just the fact that it plays the golden era of <laughs> PS1 and PS2 games in one machine. But you know, PS1 emulation and PS PS2 emulation is so sick. You can make things like AK. Mm. You can like it's you can do a lot of. It cool amazes shit. me that Sony themselves are still struggling with it, but like other people have figured it out at this point. Yeah, PCXS2 is the PC the PS2 emulator I use, and it's honestly I've never I haven't come across the game that I can't play yet. And every game other than maybe like a few tiny little like adjustments, I might have to adjust a few settings to get it perfect. Mm. It runs basically everything. Now, if I had like a PC and I was like really had the time to like get into emulation and stuff, I'd totally be all over that. I just I spend all my money on games. Hey, can you give me my, my wife was supposed to turn off my grill and she didn't. I'm gonna go turn it off real quick. Give me like 45 yeah, no seconds. You know you've gone full dad <laughs> when you have to interrupt the damn podcast. That's all right. Um, where were we? Uh, we were discussing uh, PS3 backwards compatibility and like emulators and stuff. Oh yeah, emulators. The PS2, the emulator. Yeah, that's a good point because uh, I don't have PS. Is it PS Now where you can play the classics? Yeah. Or PS Classic? It's called PS Now. It's like a streaming thing, kind of. I've uh, never used it. Yeah. I, I just because um, most of this, I have pretty much everything, anyways. But yeah, I do like the PS. I like emulators, like the PS1 to like PS3 and other consoles in that era. The emulators generally work pretty well. You can upscale things. Mm. the 4k you can have better anti-aliasing like the 64 in particular a lot of games have texture mm-hmm. hacks so you can like play legend of zelda ocarina of time but with like the graphic style of wind Waker or or super high-res graphics or like mario 64 uh actually there's a mario 64 pc port i was messing around with that if you have a rtx graphics card you can do like real-time reflections oh, really? like super high-end la- lighting on mario 64 i like messing around with stuff like that's that. funny that's what i got into now that i don't have the actual physical game collection anymore. PS... Okay, so let's go back to PS1, because I think you're the only one on the podcast so far that's been like a true J- PS1 era JRPG, not minus Chris from mm-hmm. Retro Hangover, which we're going to... That's what we're going to do a podcast with them. Do you play 8? Do you play 7 after 8? Um, so I didn't own 7 for a while. Basically, I just bummed off my friend <laughs> for a while. But um, we kind of played through them both, like at the same time. Like, I'd go over his place, we'd play 7, he'd come over, we'd play 8, and uh, we'd, we'd laugh at the graphics of 7 because how, how much better 8 looked at the time. Yes. But I mean, it's still... Surprisingly better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I still think 8's one of the best looking games on the PlayStation. It is. It uh 8 just gets shit on a lot and I get it, but it's a good game. I, a lot of it has to do with obviously the the gameplay is not the best. Well, it's I wouldn't say not the best, it's just not the most well explained. Intuitive. Yeah. I also um I hated the part in 8 when you find out like everyone grew up in the same orphanage. Yeah, that got a and somehow found like forgot like wait, yeah. what? You all what? I, I think a lot of it had to do weird. with like the translation too wasn't the best cuz Square really hadn't figured it out at that point. Yeah, there was I was listening to Retronauts and they were talking about Final Fantasy VIII and I cannot remember what they said like the a better translation of the Japanese script and they went over that section and it, it was slightly better than the English version but I can't remember what, what detail it was like they explained some somehow why they forgot yeah. that they were I don't it know it had something I to do with remember. like Guardian Forces and stuff <laughs> it was yeah. weird oh I think using Guardian Forces like wipes your memory it's something like that like it you was, lose long term memory it yeah. was weird like I know the other that, that thing was like weird. the other biggest like point Sorry. of content- contention with like eight's like translation was like a lot of people can't stand uh obviously they couldn't stand squall but i, I think squall gets too much hate 
Me too. And then uh, they didn't like Renoa. And that was mostly just because the translation kind of messed up her character. She was kind of bratty. That was the thing. She was in, in the Japanese version, she was written to be uh, like Tetsuya Nomura designed her to be like more of like the cutesy character, like yeah. as opposed to like Tifa, who was just designed to be like all beautiful. Yeah. And I guess the translation, she came off more as like a spoiled brat instead of cutesy. Yeah. yeah. Which, which it does understand why people kind of are like not into that, especially because the whole game is kind of like a love story. And people didn't like, uh, I was confused both times I played it. The, uh, Laguna flashbacks. Yeah. <laughs> like, under, like, that was really odd, too. It did come together eventually and it make sense. It makes sense, sense but... when it's explained to you, but it, you, for a while, you're kind of like, why am I in the past all of a sudden? Yes. Like, yeah, it takes you a while to even figure out if you're in the past. I did like his, uh, he had the big fat dude, and then the dude that was like the long, lanky arms that had like hand uh, knives, like Baraka almost. I thought he was, was a cool a character. Ward and I think like Kiros, maybe, or something like that. Kiro, yeah, Kiros. Yeah, you're right. I thought that dude's character design was cool. I, I, that, I like that. I yeah. loved all three of them, and I loved the, their uh, theme song their theme song was really man, good man with actually. the machine gun yeah, yeah. Uh, hot take here i think uh, final fantasy 8 has the best final fantasy soundtrack hmm, let me think i do think blue fields is one of the best final mm-hmm. fantasy songs of all time um maybe i'm a lion's one of my favorite boss themes yes that's man it is good i do like it more than sevens sevens is good sevens is just dated dated and i think I've, it's been rinsed like i've heard so yeah. many remixes and re things of sevens that i just it's a little rinsed 10 i think to xanark hand is like that's a strong song but as a soundtrack as a whole hmm I say it's better than ten. Hmm. I think no, um, it's pretty good. I, to me, it's tied with nine and six as like my three favorite. But I love eight. Is just like so. It's probably my nostalgia. But I always think like eight is just like that soundtrack was like Uematsu's best work. What's your? Uh, what do you think is the best JRPG? That's like that uh, the underground that people don't doesn't give enough credit for on the PS. So it's between. See, I want to say Lunar Two, but that's starting to get a bit more recognition these days. Mm-hmm. So I'd actually probably say uh, Koldelka. So you posted about Koldelka. I think I commented and asked asked you yep. something about it. Uh, yeah, I think you asked if it was uh, related to the Shadow Hearts games. Oh, uh, yes. Kodelka PS1. And I remember watching some gameplay of it when you posted it, and I was like, man, maybe I should try that. Let's see. i got to refresh. Oh, I remember thinking it looked a little like... Um, damn it. Stupid. YouTube ads! Yeah. <laughs> They're getting worse. Do you? Ugh. Sometimes the timing is just terrible. Yep. Ad, and that they freeze, and you have to refresh. There we go. God damn it. Now it's doing a Stadia yep. ad. Now definitely not getting Stadia, <laughs> you assholes. Um, yeah, it reminds me a little bit of like, cause the pre-rendered back, like it's like Resident Evil, the RPG. So pretty much like, um, so what the guy who created it was actually the composer for, um, Secret of Mana, believe it or not. The game director is the, was the compo- the musical composer of Secret yes. of Mana. He was also, he also did, he also did the soundtrack for Kadelka, but, um, he wanted the game to be a lot more of like a, uh, like a straight up like horror game, but the team wanted to do more of like a standard turn-based RPG. So it kind of had like this weird kind of like infighting between the development, which is why it kind of has like this weird hybrid like style. Which cool. I like the I'm watching some battle sequences so yeah you you leave the pre-rendered background like a typical JRPG mm-hmm. it loads a new 3D background but it almost looks like tactics where you move on a so grid it's, it's turn-based but basically the enemy can move around and you can move around so you can attack and then you can you can position yourself so that you can kind of like you maybe not get a direct hit or the enemy has to get closer to you so you kind of like strategically kind of like play around with it but it's still turn-based like in it's like nor- in like the other normal sense yeah Damn, I need to try this yeah this looks really interesting and it's um I was aware of it. I don't know why originally I, what turned me away from it. Because um, I did play the Shadow Hearts games. I wonder, I can't remember. Like I'm kind of disappointed that I didn't play this uh, game. Trust me, I'm, it looks cool. I missed out on it. I paid a lot of money for it. How much was it, if you don't mind me asking? So at the time I bought it, I paid it for um, 100 It's That's not too bad. Since I've checked recently, like I actually, I was at a retro store last weekend or so. They had a copy. They were selling it for like 300 So I'm not sure if it's gone up or not or if they were just like overselling it, but yeah. Dang. What's uh, what's another deep cut JRPG that you think doesn't give enough credit on the PS1? I'm on the PS1. Let me let me look at my collection here. Uh, you ever played Thousand Arms? I did play Thousand I Arms. I think that's really one that doesn't get enough uh, attention, mostly because it was an Atlas game that got barely any uh, advertising. I like the... Uh, I'm going to pull up so I can jar my memory a little bit. I remember thinking the uh, art style was really cool. Let me pull up, make sure... Because I'm I gotta make sure I'm not mix, mixing it up with Wild Arms, which is another... Oh yeah, this is one I was thinking of. I don't think I beat this, though. I haven't yet. <laughs> I've Like, I have so many games now. I'm like, I've played most of what I own, but I have not finished all everything, that's for sure. Yeah, I like the uh, art style a lot. Did you ever play the first... I think it was the first JRPG on the... Um... PS1 was Beyond the Beyond. I have Beyond the Beyond. You know, that's right. It's not bad. It was made by uh, the uh, the original Shining team, and it's the developer that would go on to make um, Golden Sun. 
Yeah, because it was a Golden Sun's Battle View. This reminds me a lot of the way the PS... And when that came out, I, I didn't have a Super Nintendo, but my friend had a Super Nintendo, and I played JRPGs and was introduced to them and watched them play. But I didn't have really my own console to play one until I got the PS1. And I was like basically waiting for a JRPG to come out. And I bought Beyond the Beyond really early on. But there's a, there's a part in the game where you have to... I can't remember what it was, like move a statue or something. I got stuck. And uh, one of your main characters, your, your tank, Samson, he's like your big buff, <laughs> typical tank guy. You're damage dealer he's cursed through like the first half of oh, the game and all and his uh so his levels are all like everything's like minus 50 percent. but if you level him up while he's cursed you have like permanently lower stats gotcha but i got stuck and so i just would f i just farmed and farmed and farmed until i finally figured out where i was stuck and then i got him uncursed but he was like permanently nerfed oh, okay because you yeah because i like farmed way too many levels i got way too high level before you're supposed to get uncursed way before i oh, did okay and then uh, i ended up having a really hard time and i got to like the final dungeon and I couldn't beat it because I, I bet I could do it now mm -hmm. and but yeah, I was I was had nerfed myself. You have like a really cool class change moment, like uh, is it Final Fantasy American Two, where like Cecil goes from Dark Knight to Paladin, mm -hmm. I think. Yep. Um, similar thing, like all your characters class change, their battle sprites change, their world sprites change. They get new well, spells, cool. like super rewarding. I gotta play that again. Like I only got like an hour in before I moved on to something else. It's very formula. It's basically a Super Nintendo RPG that has like pseudo 3D battles because gotcha. it has like 2D sprites, but the the 3D battleground they they shift the camera but your sprites are all it's like golden sun like yeah more rough around the edges yeah it's good i remember i played it like the beginning and i just remember the opening took forever that's a good one thousands arms is good did you ever play another one that no one talk, talks about that i, I think is amazing is valkyrie profile I have valkyrie profile i paid a lot of money for it yeah i sold uh i had i had two copies of valkyrie profile i sold my whole collection i think i got like 680 bucks or tw something and i bet oh yeah anyway valkyrie profile is expensive i've been playing it on emulator i'm like probably 15 hours in i never played the ps2 sequel samiria yep. i think that one's a pretty good too. Have you played, played it? it? I haven't finished it. I've played um a, a decent amount of it. It's basically the same thing. It's a different story, I believe, though. The only thing I don't like about Valkyrie Profile, which uh, Chris brought up, is like to get the good ending. There's really there's no way to figure out what to do to get the good ending without the help of the internet. Yeah, it's a guide game. Yeah, there's no way to figure it out. And I got a shitty ending, and I was like, they like <laughs> they like lead all these like tidbits of like who is Leneth? Does she have a past life? Is she actually like in some cycle where she's a yep. slave? She used to be a human. Like they you get the bad ending, and none of those things get resolved. And it's a long game. And I'm like, I'm not going to play this shit again. That's, that's like my biggest problem with most of these is like, they're so long and I just don't have the, my, my biggest problem is I got to move out of my parents' house and get in my own place. That's what I'm saving up for right now. That's why I'm kind of slowing down on collecting. But, um, I just, <laughs> I don't have the time to like pull everything out just to get an art, like an old RPG going when I can just hook the switch up and play that. Yeah. I, like you were right as a kid when you had unlimited mm -hmm. time and very limited budget, JRPGs <laughs> were the best bang for your buck. Exactly. But now when you got to pay bills, like I, I can't drop 60 hours yep. and the, the speed like I love JRPGs but when I go back and play them now I do like playing like the 7, 8 or the 8 and 9 re-releases or the 12 re-release on PC they have the fast forward mm -hmm. button um, you can skip battles you can like it cuts a lot of like the, the fluff yeah. out I like playing that because you, you have a constant feeling of progression it's not like drudging your way through this unskippable cutscene with that PS1 dialogue when it's loading the audio file like everything's delayed by like two yep. cents a person speaks blah 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 three two one oh blah yep. blah 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 and it's ah it's so slow it's like ah i don't know i can't do it now even though i love that era it's my favorite era of gaming it's, it is hard to play those games that's now. usually my grab the beer moment <laughs> yeah Definitely. Um, so obviously, P Persona Four is your favorite JRPG and favorite game of all time. I'd say so. Yeah. Um, favorite favorite PS One JRPG. Uh, I want to say eight, but it's it's Lunar Two. Lunar Two is that Silver Story? Lunar Two. No, uh, is the same Silver. One? Uh, the first one was so the Lunar series was originally released for the Sega CD okay. One and Two, and it was Lunar the Silver Star, and then Lunar Eternal Blue. Uh, it wasn't actually called Lunar Two; it was just called Lunar Eternal Blue, and they just kind of put a two at the end of it for the uh, US release. Uh, both of those were then remade for the playstation under the uh in those like big the big box releases and it was oh, okay it was lunar silver star story complete which is actually a port of the saturn version and um then it's lunar 2 eternal blue oh so those are the original sega cd games just re-released on the playstation they're not sequels no they're they're remakes
works. Okay. There is, um, so L- Lunar 1's been remade like five times. Give me a synopsis. Is I mean, it kind of looks like at the time, typical like young kid with superpowers saves the world. Kind of. I'm more familiar with two than one because I, I played two first because that makes sense. But um, basically two takes place like thousands of years after one. So they both, they're basically, they're standalone. There's like a few minor connection points. But okay. basically it's kind of like the typical like story, like you're the hero, you're on your quest, you, you run into this girl and then you're on basically this mission to like save the world <laughs> essentially. And you run into all these wacky characters as you go on and you kind of unlock more of the uh, the story as it goes. I remember, this is one of the few few that I didn't like probably, yeah, I, I bet I had like 85% of all PS1, I would guess. I'd have to look at a list. And this is one of the ones I missed. And you're right, it has been getting more buzz. I've been seeing like on Instagram and, and communities and I on think forums. I'm partially responsible for that because I won't shut up about that game. But <laughs> It looks, I do like the sprite work. It, like the battles, I, I kind of like how it's that side, there's like a fake depth to the uh, battle, like background screen. Yeah, it's, I mean, it was even more impressive on the Sega CD, to be honest, because that was like, basically the, that, the Lunar games were like the reason to own that damn thing. Yeah, this looks pretty cool. Um, I like the, the enemy animations. How's the soundtrack? Soundtrack is great. I'm not sure if I prefer the original Sega CD versions or the uh, the slightly like updated ones on the PlayStation. It, it depends on my mood, but a uh, soundtrack is incredibly catchy. Uh, it's got some funny voice acting too. I'm going to have to try this one. Any other PS1 RPGs that I might have not played or missed um, that you think uh, are worth mentioning? Did you play uh, Legend of Dragoon? Oh, yeah, okay. baby. That's a, that's one I'm, I'm surprised hasn't gotten, because it's a Sony-owned IP. I'm surprised they haven't even just done like a re-release. It, it was on it. PSN. I know that. Uh, probably was. I remember thinking it was this awesome mix of like, it kind of took like the Power Ranger formula where you had like elements mm-hmm. and you got these like awesome powers and suits and they upgraded, but it was fantasy, like like Final Fantasy VII, but it, yeah, it did the whole, and then when you get like a, same thing, you get like a class change, like partially through the game and all your suits and your abilities get changed, your, your, your models change and they have like better, cooler armor, mm-hmm. cooler dragon armor. And then when, the, I forget his name, the wind dude, the green guy, when he dies, like disc three, I think, disc two or three. Something like that. It's been a while. He gets replaced. Ah, <laughs> oh, that was a rough, that was a rough, that was like a video game death that really like, damn it. Because he's like a playable party member for like majority of the game. And uh, he's super noble. And anyway, he's, uh, that game was awesome. The cutscenes, the ending, the ending cutscene, I remember just being like really satisfying. Like I, w- I want to, a big part of those PS1 era RPGs, JRPGs, of the motivation was to get to the next mm-hmm. cutscene. There wasn't C- there wasn't CG cartoons and movies like there are now everywhere. Like seeing that level of quality of CG was hard to oh, come yeah. by, and it was really J- it was JRPGs. That's where you got to see it. Yeah, it's it's actually kind of funny. My my RPG collection is pretty much all black label. My my uh, Legend of Dragoon is the one green label I have because it's my childhood copy, and I don't want to get rid of it. You could probably is that game pretty expensive? I bet you could find a black. I, I've label. seen black labels. I just I don't know. I have nostalgia for that green one, so I've just kind of kept it as that little odd duck in my collection. Just kept it. It's a really good game. I tried playing it recently. Um, it is very slow going back, but the battle system where you have the time, the, the yeah, hit. like the weird, weird, like it was like a dial-up kind of thing. It was bizarre. It was cool though. Yeah, it uh, it still feels engaging. It's like an advanced version of the Super Mario RPG mm. system where you just have to hit the timing right to get some extra damage. But in Legend of Dragoon, you have like different combos yeah. that all have different timing, and all of them they're they're actually pretty difficult. Like the windows are narrow enough that you don't. It's not like you can just play the game and fall asleep and get them easily. Yeah, you have to stay engaged in the battle, and I'm. That, that part I really liked. If they did a re-release and they could just sort of like make the overall speed up 30%, oh, yeah. it, it's because uh, I went back and tried to play it recently and it's just I'm surprised. I'm surprised they haven't because Sony owns that. Yes. Hmm. Yeah, that's a Sony, that's a Sony, that's like a, one of the first first big budget first party Sony games I remember yeah. playing. Good old Japan studio. Alright, so let's, um, now oh, let's open oh, it actually, up. actually one other RPG though on the PlayStation that um I, I just came to my head and it's like you can't not talk about it. Uh, Sui Coden 2. Well, that's the greatest JRPG of all time. Oh, okay. So of course. It, that's it. That's why you're it's wrong. In, That's why you're wrong about Persona. It's in my top 10. It better be in your top three where I'm going to hang this, <laughs> this freaking hangout up right now. It's been number two for a while. I'll say that. It is, um, yeah. I mean, I joke, it's, uh, it's half joking, but I still do. Maybe, maybe it's not. For me, it is hands down the greatest JRPG experience I've ever had because one, Sukoden 1 was awesome. It is. And, uh, and, uh, I had never played a game where if you, it rewarded you in the next game for being like a full on nerd completionist mm-hmm. in the first game. I got all 108 stars in the first game. You 
carry that save over and then you can get the protagonist from the first mm-hmm. game and the second game and that whole and that how they were so connected and that same thing we were talking about Persona 1 because the scope of the game wasn't save the world it was you're just involved in this geopolitical conflict in one country and you hear about other countries and you have characters that come from different countries but you don't get a go and then you play the sequel where it's like a neighboring country some of those characters carry mm-hmm. over so there's references to characters and like that interconnected it was like the first time I felt like this is a world and it's not the same like old save the world from the evil it's Ultimisia the time mage that's gonna collapse yeah. all time or Sephiroth's <laughs> gonna bring a, a meteor to blow the whole planet up it just felt so much more grounded mm. even though it was still not grounded it's fantasy it's all not grounded but and yeah just when I got the, the protagonists from the first game and the second game and they reward me like just like I was rewarded in such a tangible way for being a completionist mm. but a lot of times you get like a maybe like an item or a sword or or like a co- piece of cosmetic gear yeah it's like I went through all this trouble to like get all 108 stars in both games that's a big deal like you better re- and that the reward was worth the time okay oh, yeah. we're gonna give you the protagonist with the badass soul eater rune from the first game mm-hmm. as a secret like that to me was a huge deal huge deal and the story was amazing it was oh, yeah. amazing story. one of the best ps1 stories right up there damn it's expensive though it is very expensive and i'm i wish because it's my favorite game jrpg of all time and for a while i might have said my favorite game of all time maybe not anymore um my yearly playthrough is symphony of the night i play that game every year that's up there too <laughs> one of the best games yeah not really a jrpg but uh jrpgs and metroidvanias were my favorite games growing up metroidvanias i can still play because they're not as slow mm-hmm. i still play lots of modern re- metrovanias but modern jrpgs like i tried to play um what's what is it called it's like the snowy one um not lost fear but the one before lost i am setsuna i haven't played that one it's like a chrono chrono trigger kind of inspired i tried that one i've been tried a bunch of modern i played i tried octopath traveler i just can't i can't do them anymore but metroidvanias i can still play do you ever um play uh bravely default no but i've heard really good things about it i've heard the second half is like really grindy people complain about it uh, the first game itself has a very long and drawn out second half the second game though got rid of that and it's actually just a much better game overall like it's um imagine like a modern reinterpretation of like uh the first three final fantasies Okay. Like, it's not like the active time system, but it's more like uh, like traditional turn-based. Speaking of battle system, what is your favorite battle system of any JRPG? Um, the Tail series, probably. Really? I love the Tail series That's... games. Like, that just, like, it like it combines action RPG with turn-based RPG, and it's, I don't know, I've always I've always loved that. It might be because my, one of my other favorite games of all time is Tales of the Abyss. That's another, man, you're into, like, for me claiming to be into JRPGs, you're bringing up, like, the handful of series that I've never played. Oh, no. I, the the Tail series reminds me I did play Star Ocean 2 Mm-hmm. on PS1, which has like that, that hybrid action. It, I'm watching some gameplay. I did play the, the GameCube Symphonia. Tales of Symphonia was the GameCube one. one. Yeah, yeah, I played that one. That one's not bad. The pro- only problem with that one is I played Abyss first, and once you play like a bit, the problem with the Tales series is the farther you go, it's so hard to go back because they get so much better as they go on. Yeah. What's the, If I'm going to try a Tales game, which is the best one to try? Abyss? Uh, I'd say Abyss. Vesperia is generally considered most people's favorite. That's the one that just got re-released on everything. What is it? Vesperia, the the, the part- protagonist with the long dark hair the one the one with the the protagonist that looks like a girl long uh, black hair yeah You're, this one abyss they have the protagonist has long red hair it looks yes. like so give me the what's the main differences between abyss and uh vesperia um not a lot between those two um vesperia's battle system is a bit more refined i'd say they all kind of stand on their own like they're kind of like the final fantasies they all have their own independent stories like y- yeah. you can play anyone do they have any sort of like world lore connection between them there's like it's kind of like how in the final fantasy games you have all like the spells that are the same and then like sort of items and stuff they carry around and okay. uh, the, the weird like money system i think it's called like gold or something and the i i can't remember right now i've been i got too many rpg currencies in my head right now and i'm looking at tells yeah i've i think i've uh looked at this yeah vesperia they did do that re-release on steam and i was eyeing it it looks really good in 4k mm. i was watching some youtube videos um it has like yeah it looks super smooth 60 frames a second 4k i'm watching that it looks awesome so that re-release is actually based off of the uh, Japan only PS3 version of that game. Did it have like extra content? Extra uh, content, some added uh, moves and stuff. Might have to try this one. This looks this looks pretty cool. So it's actually kind of funny you brought up Star Ocean. Believe it or not, the Star Ocean team, uh, Tri Ace, actually was originally part of the uh, team that made the first Tales game. That makes sense to me because when I look at the, I'm watching this battle system and I'm like, this just reminds me of Star Ocean. Mm-hmm. So the first uh, the first uh, Tales game, Tales of Fantasia for the Super Nintendo, uh, it was uh, Japan only, I believe. At the, yeah, it was Japan only at the time. But um. That was made by a team. Did called- they have a this? 
same battle system? I'm looking it up right now, sorry. So it was more of a 2D thing. The Tail series is kind of split between there's like two different versions. There's like the 2D styled games and then the 3D styled games. From like st- like the 3D ones kind of started with Symphonia on and then the uh, the 2D ones were the original ones. They have somewhat different okay. battle systems. This actually looks pretty, this was Japan only, this Fantasia? The original Fantasia was Japan only. It did have a Game Boy Advance port, but the Game Boy Advance port's kind of hit or miss. It's not as good. Has it been re-released? Because I'm watching a YouTube video and it has English translation. There is an English ROM uh, ha- or like translation okay. going around. That's probably what I'm watching. I actually have I have a ROM card somewhere. I don't really I don't like to post ROM cards on my blog, just a personal thing. But I do have one of those. Yeah, I just some people get weird about it, but sometimes people give me a little grief about emulators. There's nothing wrong like, with well, emulation. It's not illegal. I don't so. think so. And even if like I know technically a lot of the games, a lot of the games I play, I did own or have owned. Some of them I've never owned, but I don't know. I mean, it's a great. I get it. I technically it's either like emulate or do what you're doing, mm-hmm. which is collect and i don't it's you're gonna put a gun to my head i'm i'm just i'm not ready to commit to collecting i don't i can't do it so there's nothing wrong but with I, that yeah but i want to play the game it's like hey you do what you got to do if you're not like if i would say if you wanted to be truly like 100 percent like perfectly ethical if the game is available anywhere in a modern like re-release virtual console or whatever buy it spend the money um but if the game is not available anywhere i definitely don't feel bad about playing it sometimes i'll just get it on emulator because it's easier i don't like i don't want to go buy maybe uh a xbox 360 like i said to play guardian heroes mm-hmm. i could go buy an xbox i don't even know if i could actually because the i don't think that game's on xbox live anymore so even if i oh, own no, you, the 360, can, you can still buy games on xbox live you can yeah i, I just bought the uh, the banjo kazooie re- uh, versions on xbox live okay. recently maybe i should just do that because streaming a 360 is going to be a lot easier than figuring out how to stream a saturn mm. i actually i bought a 360 just to play tales of Vesperia. believe it or not oh nice before the re-release yeah this was like back when like yeah. right when the, the xbox one came out and basically gamestop was just trying to get rid of the damn things what's your favorite soundtrack for jrpgs that one's tough because there's so many like phenomenal soundtracks. you were saying eight earlier but i kind of weird i talked about this a little bit it's we- eight's up there persona 5 soundtrack blew me away that soundtrack is on another level i'm just waiting to see if you say chrono trigger so chrono i don't trigger have to hang up on definitely you. up there i love that soundtrack <laughs> yes my favorite soundtrack and usually in my top five of jrpgs as well i, I put chrono trigger up there i put I, like final fantasy 6 is great tales of the abyss has a phenomenal soundtrack too who's your favorite uh villain in the jrpg favorite villain hmm i mean i gotta i have a soft spot for kefka from final fantasy 6 he's a good one he's a good one hmm. oh this is tough because there's so many uh kind of out kind of out there but uh a fawful from the mario and luigi rpgs that's a good one that's a that's a good one i've always i've always loved that guy like ba- bowser's inside yeah. stories that's one of those ones that floats just on the outside of my top 10 sometimes it pops in there yeah like that's a great one give me give me your top 10 how you're feeling today just like off rattle it off what you think what you're feeling today so persona 4 golden is always up there suikuden 2 final fantasy 8 lunar 2 fantasy star 4 like that's one of the that is the greatest rpg on the genesis um what else people have you played fantasy star online 2 i've been eyeing it that one's good um what, what else I'm, oh uh albert odyssey uh, on the saturn you ever heard of that one i have heard of it let me look it up because albert it's a saturn game and it's a jrpg odyssey saturn is it saturn only or has it been released it's saturn somewhere only, else unfortunately let me look at this oh dude i like the uh saturn man saturn games had such cool sprite they did when uh, saturn games that went just went for that full 2d look was like top-notch i mean that was what the system was meant for but yeah this looks awesome i was recently um playing the in japan it has a different name i think it's thor something in japan it's Gen- beyond oasis oh, um, i yeah, was playing beyond oasis was the first one and then there was legend of oasis legend saturn I, I can get that game to work on emulation and that game's sprite work is amazing mm. as well. Dude, this looks awesome. It's Albert Odyssey. It's a really good game. The combat's kind of simplistic, but it's it's just fun and it's got that working designs kind of charm to it. What uh, what about it makes it in your top 10? Story, like, the, is it the story, the music, the aesthetic? I like the story. I love the aesthetic. The music's okay. It's not one of my top soundtracks. Um, it's, it's that working designs charm that just kind of sucks you into it. What a uh, story in JRPGs. <laughs> this, I'm like ruining all the content for our future JRPG episode, but whatever. Oh, trust me. I could, I could go on for hours. Um, um, what what has made you the most? For me, it's Sui Coden Two made me the most emotional. I have the most emotional moments. Like actually, Final Fantasy Nine when Zidane like, like turns out to be alive when you think he dies mm-hmm. at the end. That was a big moment for me. Any like what moments like story moments stand out to you for JRPGs? Um, I mean obviously. 
Persona 4, that whole um, scene where you... The reveal? Where you see where uh, Nanako almost dies. And you, th- oh, you yeah. think she's gonna for a minute there. And if you make that mistake with the TV, she does die. Yes. That was one of them. Um, this one's going back pretty far, but um, I, I might I might butcher the pronunciation, but uh, Alias from... Um, or Alice, Alice from uh, Fantasy Star 4, her death. I don't know. I gotta look. So Fantasy... Damn, I'm like a poser. You're All these ones I haven't played. Fantasy Star 4. That was a make Genesis game. Oh, I remember. So uh, the reason why I didn't like Fantasy Star or I never got into it is I didn't like that like Dragon Warrior like straight on battle view. I like at the time I liked JRPs that had the side by side or like Suicoden coding or whatever because I think I was dra- I think it was Dragon Warrior I didn't like on the NES and I just I was I was super picky about aesthetics. But uh, now I'm watching some gameplay and like the character design like they have these like comic book cutscenes. That was what it was famous for because you had like these anime manga style cutscenes between for like the very yeah these look dope. I'm oh, sorry, go on. They look dope and it's sci-fi, which is mm-hmm. my f- favorite. I don't know why I didn't fucking play this. Damn. Yeah, this looks cool. Is uh, So what about Fantasy Star 4 sticks out to you? So Like the best selling point to try it? Uh, it is. Well, it's Fantasy Star 4 is like the final part of what was the classic Fantasy Star series before they went with the online uh, style. Uh, and it basically tied together everything from the first three games. The third game is kind of the black sheep of the series. It's kind of off in its own little space. It, it does have a few things, but 4 is the one that ties them all together. And 4 has the most like solid like gameplay the fastest battle system it actually has like one of the earliest like auto battles i can think of like in a game oh see for me sui coding was the first auto battle option jrpg i played see in uh in in fantasy star 4 it has this system called the macro system and uh basically you can program what you want your uh, characters to do so you you have like i think there's like seven to eight macros you can you can program so you can have one that's just like the straight up just everyone attack you can have one like be like one guy attack one person magic one person heal yeah and it's like you can program them so it's like you can just it's not quite auto battle but it's basically it's like rather than having to hit a bunch of ones you just hit one at the start of each turn it sounds a little like maybe a simpler version of the gambit system in final fantasy 12 maybe maybe a little bit god i haven't played 12 i haven't played 12 in years do you need to play the first three or should i just like read a synopsis of the story and just try to play four you don't really need to play the first three like i mean there's a lot of things that'll make more sense like with the world but as the story itself is pretty much you can play it by yourself on its own like i played four okay. before all the other ones but uh in terms of four four also has you know how like a lot of people final fantasy get, gets a lot of like people always bring up Aerith's death yes believe it or not um fantasy star four did that like years earlier main character's death so when the game starts you're playing as two characters alice and uh chaz they're two like kind of like bounty hunters and um um, you basically you start the game off thinking um, Ellis is the main uh, the main like protagonist throughout the game, and then as, as you get like about probably like quarter through the game, she gets like this like basically like terminal like attack hit on her, and she's like in the hospital. And you go on this entire side quest basically to cure her, thinking that she's gonna live, and then she just dies, and she's gone from the rest of the game, and it just punches you right in the gut. I think uh, I found the cut. I'm gonna share my screen. Is it the scene of her with like the shocked face, and then I think I found the the steel. Oh yep, that's it. Tell me if you can. Yeah, this looks that makes sense. So they do like a kind of like you think she's the main protagonist you're gonna see because they did that in like chrono trigger where chrono gets hurt then you like lost in time and then you bring him back that's happened before mm-hmm. but so they lead you on to think you're gonna save her oh you, she just you do an entire like side quest basically to like save her life and then you find out no it didn't do anything and she just dies anyways and it, it just punches you right in the gut because you're like damn and she was she was a really likable character too and like was she had like a cool gimmick she had like this like double boomerang thing going on all right i'm gonna have to try that out too dang so Fantasy Star, and the other one was Albert Odyssey. I need to, mm. I'm going to bookmark these. Fantasy Star sure is easier to get, to get um, working on an emulator than Albert is, although it's 2D, so I don't think it would be that hard to get on a Saturn emulator. It's the, so the, the biggest problem I've had with Saturn emulator, and the main one I'm using is Yabusa, is any of the games that mesh 2D and 3D. Mm-hmm. So, like, uh, Psycho Killer Tomorrow has, it's like a lot of games did it where the world is in 3D, or there's like some geometry, but then the sprites are 2D. There seems to be like, I have problems with all of those games, but if it's just a 3D game or just the 2D game, they usually work. So I'm going to try oh, that's this. That's actually uh, off track a little bit, but that's actually one of the main reasons why uh, the Symphony of the Night port on Saturn runs like crap. Because there's 3D elements in the Symphony of the Night? Believe it or not, Castlevania Symphony of the Night is actually built on a 3D engine ah. on the PlayStation version. And that's why when it was brought over to um, the uh, the Saturn, because it was made for the PlayStation first, um, because it's based off a 3D. Th- this is what I've read anyways. It was based off a 3D engine. It didn't translate over well. Yeah. I, when I was listening to that, I think it's business 
Business Wars of Retronauts about the Saturn and the development time and how they hodgepodge together this like hot rod machine in 11, 9 or 11 months to compete with the PlayStation. They, uh, it, the way it does 3D is like an archaic way that didn't take. And the, and the basically the, the standard, this, I'm butchering this if anyone's listening that actually knows shit about developing games. Don't judge me. But from what I understand is like the base of even modern engines is polygons as triangles. Yep. And the Saturn used like vertex points. I think it was like quadrilaterals or something. Some, something weird, right? Something I don't understand, right? Some other method of, and that's what made it like, yeah. Which sucks is because that's another one I was trying to play on emulator. And I think it's the fact that the Saturn version of Symphony Night is known for running worse. And I'm trying to play it on an emulator mm-hmm. and the emulators aren't great. I was like, well, I want to play the, I want to play as Maria and I want to check out the other areas that are exclusive to the Saturn version. Mm-hmm. And I got it working on an emulator, but it's so janky. Yeah. I was like, this, I can't play this. I can't. It sucks too, because it's also one of the more expensive uh, imports too. Yeah. So I, I definitely, the Saturn's one of those, that's a, I'm glad you're, because that's a console I'm trying to uh, go back and like familiarize myself with. I know there's a lot of really good, there's so many games. I tried Magic Knight Ray Earth because I read it, read it was the final game released on the Saturn and it, it was, uh, someone mentioned oh, in the um, podcast. The expand. final game for the Saturn was uh, Magic Knight Ray Earth. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. That's one of the, that's one of the ones I don't have. I, uh, I played it and it was, speaking of slow JRPGs, it took me an hour to get out of like the intro to, to where you can even like walk mm-hmm. around and I was so angry, <laughs> like... I did a video on it and I was like drinking a lot and I was like I can't do this game I was just pissed it took me an hour to like get to gameplay and uh and I, I'm not really into that like cutesy Sailor Moon yeah, it, anime yeah it's based off of um based off an anime actually believe it or not yeah yeah just that uh I, I like we could talk about anime too I like a lot of anime or I like I love like 30% of certain things about anime I tolerate the other like 30% and the remaining 40% drives me up the wall yeah and sort of that like sort of I don't know I know there's like certain words and slang for of like breaking down different styles of anime. I don't know what the word is for Magic Knight Raider, but anything that's like Sailor Moon, Schoolgirls, I just doesn't. I can't do it. It doesn't. I don't get into it. Yeah, I mean, I, I admit I have nostalgia for Sailor Moon just because I watched it with my sister. But other than that, not really my thing. I mean, the idea is like Girl Power Rangers, which is dope. Pretty much. I'm down for girls girls having their own Power Rangers. But uh, yeah, that's so. I tried Magic Knight Raider. The other one people keep telling me to try on Saturn is it's like a shooter, top down shooter. Everyone talks about it. Rating oh, Silver Gun. I think I got that somewhere around here. Apparently that's a badass one. Have you played it? Yes. I suck is it. it good? I suck at it miserably, but I, it's so fun. I played a lot of Raiden or Raiden on PS1, that's which a good is another top down. So y- you ever played a uh, Ikaruga? That's like the, the crowning jewel of those games. Yeah. Uh, from what I understand, I haven't played it, but Raiden Silvergun was kind of like the predecessor to Ikaruga. Okay. But it was like the that same studio sense, yeah. that made it. Okay. Sweet, dude. Well, I'm about running out of time. We're going to do more. I'm going to have you back on with Chris. And we're going to do another, like a full JRPG episode. Mm-hmm. Is there, um, where can people find you on your socials? Check out your collection, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. No, this was fun. Oh, where can people find you oh, online? Oh, sorry. You, you cut out a little there. Uh, so I don't have a really big online presence. I'm pretty much, you can find me at the Barber Who Games on uh, Instagram. It's my blog where I just talk about games that I think are cool. And I give my own little I think your Instagram, opinions. your Instagram is pretty big. I felt like, I can't remember, but I remember you get good engagement you got comments on most of your photos. I, I've gotten pretty up there. I, I'm just about to hit 8,000 uh, followers. That's pretty good for, I mean, for a game, I mean, retro gaming collecting is super niche. It's not like mm. a big chunk of the population is super into collecting no. old school I games. Mean, I mean, I've discovered that there's a lot more than I thought. I mean, I, th- when, uh, definitely I think more. I had like maybe 100 followers when you started following me. I thought I peaked at that point. Yeah, you grew really fast. Um, there's a guy, you might have run into him. I believe his handle is Mezmoron, M-E-Z-M-O-R-O-N. Have you seen his collection? I might have. I'd have to look. I might follow him. I keep bringing him up in podcasts and I need to just try to hit him up. Or I, I, the truth is, I'm sexist. I don't even know if it's a dude. I'm just assuming it's a dude. Statistically, it's probably a dude. But um, he's got like a legit like mini library he built in his house. Like shelves and shelves and shelves. I, my, my guess is by, based on like looking at your pictures and what you've posted and seeing the background, if you have 2,000 some odd items, um, if I would like scale, I bet he's somewhere around like eight to 10,000. I would guess have, just based on... I'll have to check him out. Yeah, I would definitely check him out. Um, Barbara who games you're, I, I've, you post what's cool about you is a lot of people will post retro content but I think I could be wrong everything you post is from your collection right yep I only post games yeah. I own and um, I try to like make sure everyone I give my honest opinion about I don't try to just like pander basically yeah and I like to share other things I like which is why I put my little records in the background sweet well check them out Barbara who games I'm trying to keep my episodes under two hours gotcha. which is my last one was four and that's the only complaint people have given me is like I like your podcast but 
but sometimes I don't want to commit to four hours, mm. you know, or I'm sick of you guys talking for about the same thing for four hours <laughs> and they can't hold people's gotcha. attention, whatever it is. So I'm working on it. I'm listening to your guys' feedback. He's going to be on again, William Barber. Is you, are, I thought you were a barber. No. Okay. So my last name is Barber. So it's just kind of a little running joke. Oh, okay. If, if you actually look at, look at my blog handle now, it's actually, it's, it, it, I'm listed as Bill, not actually a barber. Oh, uh, because your personal, I forgot where it was, but you have a link to your personal and it said Barber as well. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize it was your last name. So yeah, I thought you were a barber, but then you had long hair and then your, your Instagram said no, you're a machinist. This is, this is my, uh, this is my quarantine hair. <laughs> yeah. I have, yeah. Quarantine hair going on too. Just keep growing it, man. Might as well. I'm thinking about it. I kind of like it. Sweet. Well, we're going to have you back on. We're going to do, I know we talked mainly about JRPGs, but that's just the beginning. Mm-hmm. We're going to have Chris on from Retro, Retro Hangover and we're going to go deep, <laughs> deep and argue. And uh, basically I'm going to convince you guys that Sui Coden 2 is the, the greatest. And it's up there. If I can't, it's up there. It's up there. I think Persona 4, now that I think about it, if that is one that I'm okay with being, like, it's kind of like, I'm like way into UFC and people talk about like, the greatest fighter of all time. And uh, there's always this debate. There's no such thing as the greatest fighter of all time, but there are definitely, when someone brings a certain fighter up, you're like, yeah, that you could, I could see that. Like you're not out to lunch. Oh, yeah, trust me, I'm a NASCAR fan. And like, that's like another debate that's completely all over the place. And people, I'm sure, I don't know anything about NASCAR, but I'm assuming that same sort of conversation oh, yeah. goes on about the best drivers. Yeah. And so it would be like, if someone came out and said some driver that was like, really had no business being in, in the conversation, you'd be a little miffed. But I think Persona 4 definitely is in the business of being in the, the conversation for greatest JRPG. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, I haven't played five and people, but people like my really good buddy who got me into Persona, we both got five at launch. I just didn't have time. So I shelved it. He played it at launch and he, he called me like two weeks and it's like, dude, I beat it. And it's, it's not even close to four. Like, don't even bother. Would you agree? I, th- I prefer four story, but at five does so much for the gameplay. It's like not even like funny. I got to play it. They did. They're going to do. I've been waiting for them to do some sort of re-release on the computer. I think it's going to come I'm, to PC. They put four on the PC. Yep. And, and I have it. Bought it. They put Cat. They put Catherine on the PC and the Switch, which makes me wonder if that, this is their testing ground. They're going to see how these do. And then they're going to think about five. Yeah. yeah. I think uh, I think I'm going to give it another go when it, I think it'll inevitably come to PC eventually. And then I'm going to give it a, it'll come with any like extra DLC and, and whatever extra stuff the ultimate yeah. definitive whatever whatever they name it I'm gonna definitely give it a shot I mean I still haven't even had a chance to play the royal yet so nice sweet dude Barber Who Games thanks for coming on I appreciate your time um, it's super hard to get guests uh, I have to chase people down you basically responded you were easy to re- you were there you didn't stand me up all the things that I like I really really appreciate it uh, thank you for your time no problem man. I-